0: This is Cultivate a Good Life, episode 78 Understanding Desire, with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Well, welcome back, everybody. We are Becky Higgins and Becky Proudfit, and we are really, really excited and honored to have. Dr. Finlayson Fife with us in this particular episode and the one right after it because
1: that's fun. We, we can- have a bonus episode a bonus because episodes. we loved her so much. She had so much wisdom to share that we had to give you a little extra but we did before we get started um, sharing this conversation with you we did want to give you a little disclaimer. Um, we try to make all of our episodes extremely family friendly. And while the topic of human sexuality is totally something we hope you're discussing in your families, um, this episode might be one that might be more suitable for you to listen to without your kids. We will be using um, anatomically correct language um, in discussing this very sensitive topic but something that really needs to be discussed and in order to do that properly we wanted to make sure that we did not have to hold anything back and because of that it might not be a conversation you want to have your little ones party to and maybe you can continue this after you listen with them later.
0: The other thing I think is worth sharing is that you know, when 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 you're talking about something that is so personal, right? Is that the best way to describe this? It's such Absolutely. a personal topic. I think it's really important to remember that we're, our guest today is incredibly experienced and intelligent and um, knowledgeable in her field. She knows what she's talking about. She will also be stating her opinions and we are not here to say what is right what is wrong you as a listener have the opportunity and the obligation and the privilege of being able to listen and hear what you are looking for so there will be some things that resonate with you there may be some things you don't necessarily agree with and that's okay it's totally okay Um, i just want to make sure that um, that as we listen with an open mind and an open heart to somebody who has truly devoted her life to helping people understand more about this in um, incredibly important part of our lives that you keep an open mind. That's, yeah, that's my thought.
1: And I love that you said that because really, like we say at the end of every episode, this isn't about you taking every single thing that is said or taught and internalizing it, but rather listening for the thing that sticks out to you. And and again, as humans, we all have the right and I encourage you to figure out what is true for you in the information that is presented today. So we're so excited to get started, but let's hear a quick word from this week's sponsor.
0: In our ongoing efforts to cultivate a good life and record it, we honor and celebrate all kinds of approaches. And one thing that we both wholeheartedly believe in is the power of words. This can look like a lot of different things, and we want to share one of our favorite ways to use words for inspiration and to inspire our families and those who
1: come into our homes. Jet made boards are one of our very favorite things for a good reason We'll describe what it is, but we highly recommend you keep an eye on our Instagram stories this week as we share more and give you a visual. Picture a stylish board sitting on your desk or countertop. Looking at the sleek and cool design, you would never know it's actually magnetic. And so are the letters that you put on the board. Can you picture it? Use the letters to spell
0: out any words or phrases or quotes or mini pep talks or love notes or what's for dinner or welcoming your guests by <laughs> name or you get the idea. Seriously, whatever you want to spell out. It's obviously easy breezy to change out the words whenever you want and even let your husband or the kids take a turn.
1: It's worth worth mentioning that the word jet in the dictionary means to stick or stand out just like you friend with JetMade, the words are meant to stick out or stand out in your life as well head over to jetmade.com and be sure to enter the code becky10 at checkout so that you save 10 percent on any and all purchases we think you'll love it so much you'll want to pick some more up for gifts
0: Well, we welcome you to the show. We're so, so grateful that you are here, and we would love for you to introduce yourself to our listeners and let them know um, what it is in this, in terms of the scope of your work and how you are serving people with this knowledge and experience that you have. So I'm Dr. Jennifer finlayson Fife, and I um,
2: live in the Chicago area. I happen to be here in Arizona doing a workshop right now called The Art of Desire, where I'm talking... Specifically to the de- demographic that I serve most, which is the LDS community, um, talking to women about their relationship to desire and sexuality and their self development, and uh, just it's really a, a self and sexual development course, and it's, I love doing it. But the overarching work that I do, I um, I'm a therapist and a coach, and I teach online courses um, to primarily to LDS people, but about how to improve their relationship, how to have more meaningful sexual relationships and how to develop themselves into higher integrity, more solid people. So,
0: which we love, Yeah, like, that's yes. needed, that's needed today. And I love that. I love that you are helping this topic to become less taboo. I think we're getting mm. better about that as a society, yeah. but we need, we need that niche so much where, mm. you know, there are so many people who who want to be good and wholesome and also know and feel confident in their own sexuality and that the blend of those topics, why it's taboo, none of us know, but it is, it has been. And so because
2: I think a lot of us have inherited the idea often in our faith traditions, but in our, or in our families of the idea that sexuality is incompatible with goodness, that sexuality is the hedonistic self-serving side of us. It's the threat to goodness And so, you know, a lot of faith traditions sort of try to create a division between sexuality and the body and the moral self. And I think it's a division that actually creates a lot of trouble for us as human beings. Mm. And so,
1: I totally agree. The first time I think I heard um, anyone say that my sexuality doesn't belong to my husband or my partner, but to me, you may have been the first person I've mm. ever heard say that. And that was such Mm. a, a... big moment for me. to do you want to expand kind of upon that um, theology?
2: Sure. Well, I think a lot of people uh, grow up and particularly women grow up in the idea that their sexuality belongs to a future spouse or to a man. So I think women in, you know, male run and male led societies, whether that's a faith tradition or society at large, often have their sexuality constructed or made sense of in reference to men's sexuality. And so the idea that a lot of women inherit is that they aren't really naturally sexual, not compared to men. And if they are sexual, it's made legitimate by it being there to love or take care of a man. Mm. And so, you know, through history, women have really been taught this idea that they kind of earn their legitimacy through their sexual purity, their non-engagement of their sexuality, because this is a gift. Your sexual innocence is a gift you give to your future spouse Mm. because, you know, this is the gift you give him essentially. So that's an idea that, you know, ultimately it's good if it's in that frame, but it doesn't really belong to you. It's not a part of belonging to yourself and it's a problematic frame because it sets up this idea that your sexuality is his or half his now. And so if you're now married, it can really interfere with sexual desire, with actual intimacy, because it's not a framing of knowing and being known. It's a framing of kind of duty and ownership.
0: Mm -hmm. And
2: those are problematic ideas in the realm of passionate sexuality.
0: Why is that problematic? Is it because of what then leads to dysfunction or resentment? Or why do we see that as problematic?
2: Well, yes, to both of those things. But what I would say is Esther Perel, who's a um, sex, um, does a lot of work around sexuality and couples, she um, says something like Sex can be work or play, but it can't be both. Hmm. And so as soon as you put it into the frame that this is something I'm supposed to do or I should do or I have a duty to my husband and his needs, well, then it's in the frame of work. And as soon as it's about propping up somebody else's needs or sense of self, it's not about passion or desire or authentic self-expression. It's about a job. And so it. a lot of people pressure this idea of duty and I have needs and that kind of idea as a way to get sex. And they may get sex, but they have now precluded passion and desire because the meaning frame is around getting control rather than the ability to really choose within the context of marriage.
0: Now, I want to interject and and just let our listeners know that you have online courses and information. Like, I I don't know if you want to speak to all of the resources that you have. This might be a good time before I go a little bit further but yeah the the resources that you have is it? well i have
2: a lot of podcasts that are all under the jennifer finlayson five podcast archive that you can find on itunes or apple uh spotify that kind of thing so that's all there and there's a bazillion podcasts that i've Mm -hmm. done on these topics i also have online courses um that are about women's self and sexual development called the art of desire I have another course for how to increase intimacy in your marriage relationship. So it's dealing with the dynamics that are operating in the marriage and that are normal um, iterations of what couples do, but really interfere with peace and happiness and intimacy, this ability to know each other and to be known by each other. And then I have a enhancing sexual intimacy course. That's an extension of that. That's really looking at what is interfering with passion and desire and sex worth wanting in -hmm. your sexual relationship. And a lot of times we're operating within meanings we don't even know are there because Mm -hmm. we can't see them. They're so normal or they're what we inherited from our families or what has been easy to create in the marriage, but really interfere with a happy sexual relationship. And then I do yeah. one on how to talk to your kids about sex and how to teach sexual integrity to your kids.
1: Thank you. One of the things that. I love that you were saying, cause I'm actually in the middle of this art of desire mm-hmm. course I'm attending. Um, one of the things I love that you said is it doesn't always look like someone standing from a pulpit or like the verbalization of these like oppressive sexual values. Mm-hmm. sometimes it really is just like you said, in the air that we breathe, it's just yes. kind of an understanding. And this is how this kind of oppression is kind of perpetuated is it's not like spoken and it's almost mm-hmm. not like a choice. It just is what is yes. right. And as we continue we. to mm-hmm. accept those, so those same things and internalize them, we're passing these things down to our kids That's right. and, and we don't, even realize it. Mm -hmm. That's right. Well, and,
0: and that's why I wanted to kind of interject with that. Like, Oh, Hey, by the way, there's all these resources out there because I feel like there's just no way in an episode of a podcast to cover all the things. So I wanted to make sure you as a listener understand that, um, that she has all of this available and it's there. And Mm so as you listen, I, our hope always is that you pull even just a couple of insights that feel really personal for you. So as you listen to the insight she's going to share, just know that there's so much more. Mm -hmm. And, and on this topic, like you should go way deeper. If you know that this is maybe the time or the season that you really need to dive in Becky, you felt really like when you heard that she was coming, you're like, Oh, I am there. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, when you brought that up with me, I'm like, I would love to, and I can't this week, Mm -hmm. like logistically cannot be there this week. But I think that it's such a one to me, it's wonderful and healthy and beautiful that so many people are drawn to wanting to learn more. So good for you, listener, for tuning in and, and yeah. wanting to learn more. So um where would you, where did you say that you wanted Jennifer to go with this, Back.
1: So for me, um, one of the big moments um in going through this and, and reading Jennifer's work is that um, desire, you hear art of desire, and automatically you go to like, you know, you tell your husband you're coming to this course, and he probably automatically is like, Yay, you're going to like a how to be a better sex partner course. <laughs> like, hooray. <laughs> and then you get here in day one, you realize um, that the art of desire really does not start with sexual desire. So, mm-hmm. do you want to speak a little bit to that?
2: Yeah, well, you know, one of the things I'm taking up in the workshop and the course online is that I'm really taking up the way that we as women have been taught to relate to our sense of self. So it's not just how we've been taught to relate to sexuality as something that actually belongs to a future spouse or a way of keeping yourself desirable. But that we've often been taught that the way to be a desirable woman or to be a wo- woman who's seen as worthy or good is to be needless and wantless, desireless, to hmm. self-suppress, to be you know putting your needs second. Because a lot of our sort of stereotypical gendered thinking is that men are assertive and strong and direct and, and um, go after what they want. They're rational. And women are more you know, soft and passive and supportive and nurturing. And, you know, while there's clearly differences between men and women, that these are not so much descriptive as they are prescriptive. Oh, and so, can you
1: say that again? That yes. was like mm-hmm. written in bold capitals in my notebook yeah. and italicized. Right? Right.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So that while there are clearly differences between men and women, and, you know, I don't want to distract from, you know, who someone naturally is, but this focusing on what women naturally are that we often hear or what men naturally are is not so much descriptive as it is prescriptive. Mm. It becomes like, Oh, if I'm a good woman, I'm going to push down these sexual feelings I'm having because I want to be pure. I want to be desirable. I want to be good enough for some future man. So I, I'm going to be what this ideal woman is, or I'm not going to focus on my desires. I'm going to show that I'm selfless and kind and deferential, and so I'm going to push down the things that I want because I don't want to interfere with my femininity and my desirability. And you know, a, a, an idea that many women have inherited is the idea that you establish your legitimacy by being wanted, by being chosen, by being married. And um, and so, if you're going to be desirable, that that for many women is a very important idea. Like, how do I establish it? Well, a lot of us have learned the idea that we establish our desirability by pushing down our desires, sexual and otherwise. Our self-development comes second to the development of a husband or children. And, you know, I can understand, I suppose, why we think that a woman belonging to her own desires could interfere with her desire to nurture, I suppose, if we think that, you know, it's either you're going to be nurturing or selfish, selfless or selfish. But I don't think that those are binary concepts. In fact, I think the more you've developed a self, the more you have to actually share and give to offer to another person. I totally agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and, and it's hard being a woman and being a mother. I remember um, the first desire, uh, to be honest, in my married life that I think I tried to squash was my desire to have a career. Mm. And because I thought that by um, focusing on that or really desiring or wanting that, that it somehow made me less of a mother, Mm -hmm. thus less of a woman. And Mm -hmm. where I saw that play into um, kind of my sexual relationship, and we all know I share all this with 100% consent of Mm -hmm. my awesome husband, was when that resentment was present, when I would watch him... Go and and do all the things that he wanted to do, and I was yeah. there in that supporting role. I had resentment because I'm like, man, I miss that part of myself. Yeah. Like I, I deeply miss that that part of me. And while I felt like I was giving it freely, um, there was that resentment there. And then that that resentment kind of starts to infect other areas of Absolutely. your life. And it took me a long time to realize and to be able to vocalize. Like, I really like I really like working. And in fact, I think. My progression through working and um, embracing that part of myself makes me a, a better mom because mm-hmm. I'm showing up in a more true version of who I actually mm-hmm. am. It's yes. Like your integrity is
0: just that much more intact. Right, mm-hmm. right. Which is, it's different for everybody, but for you, you've learned that and realized that about yourself. And mm-hmm. I, who I've, you know, we, Becky and I have shared these stories, but I've worked all these years and and have noticed the same thing, but from the other side of the coin, which is I've recognized and acknowledged all along that this was a piece of who I was, and I felt more whole mm-hmm. because I was embracing that part of me instead of squashing it. I just think it's interesting that that was your first, like when you got mm-hmm. married, you're saying that was your first thing that you almost squashed, and it certainly didn't come from Taylor. Oh heavens! No. Right, and mm-hmm. so and that's, that's interesting. Thing. That mm-hmm. goes back to the cultural mm-hmm. or, or what yeah. Like what's in the air? Like why, you know? <laughs> know. That's so interesting. What's in the water mm-hmm. is our yeah. <laughs>
1: we that because yeah. I think oftentimes it's not somebody oppressing us; it's truly us oppressing ourselves. Yeah. with the with with these ideals that we've either absorbed or been taught passively or whatever. Yeah. But we're, we're really, afraid
2: to take responsibility yes. for what we want and sort of assert what we want when we think it may be met with invalidation or disapproval. So a lot of times we're more controlled by these ideals or what we think others want from us than than what's necessarily happening.
0: Totally. And there are
2: worse things than people thinking you're not doing what you should be. I mean, right. you know, it, it, there's worse things than that. It's much better to kind of live a, and honestly and with integrity around what you, what you think is best. But I think you know, there's a lot of well intentioned people who are thinking, I don't want to take time and energy away from my child. They mm-hmm. need a lot, they're dependent on me. And I think that comes from a, a lot of goodness in us.
1: Absolutely. But I
2: think a lot of times the idea is it's a zero sum game. So anything I invest in myself takes away from them. And a lot of us just have that idea and we, you know, find out it's not true often. You know, when I, I was home with my kids for a number of years because it was the right thing to do. I have a special needs child, and there was it was just a lot going on that, in fact, it wasn't even enough for just one of us. I had some hired help with some of that because of my oldest child's challenges. but um, But at a certain point, he was more established, and my younger kids were more established, and I knew I needed something because I was no longer feeling really at peace and at ease mm. in just solo mothering. And I was a little bit afraid of pursuing or kind of going, you know, starting a private practice because I had my training at that point. Uh, Because I was afraid, like, would it take away from my kids? But the great thing about the work I do is I was able to just add a little bit and kind of test it out and see how I felt about it and things like that. And so I did that. But I remember my husband saying to me, I love your work because you go away, you make money. You come back and you love me and all of us more.
0: <laughs> Isn't that <laughs> magic? Well, how cool of him to yeah. acknowledge that. Yeah. You know, and he could he could easily pick, take yeah. the story, adopt the story of resentment if he yeah. wanted to.
2: Sure. Right? Right.
0: But he's confident enough and secure enough and has enough integrity to rather acknowledge that that yeah,
1: hundred percent. Yeah. What's really interesting to me is how we're talking about, you know, having ownership over what you actually want over what you're actually about. And that is hard work to go through. But what is so interesting to me is truly, um, having a handle on your sexuality and the way you show up in a sexual relationship like that work is at the heart of it. Mm -hmm. You have to have that foundation. Yeah, exactly. Um, Can you speak to that? Yeah, because,
2: uh, you know, what I'm basically working from is this idea of not only have we been taught, you know, that we can't legitimately belong to our desires, which sets up a a, a really problematic foundation, but but if you haven't developed a self, okay, and, and this idea of being desireless extends to our sexuality, but if you haven't developed a self and you don't have any sexual sense of self, you aren't in a position to create intimacy because intimacy is about knowing and being known. Mm -hmm. And so if you have no self to share, you can't really create intimacy, okay? A lot of people get married looking more for a caregiver or someone, a protector, someone to kind of be a sort of parent figure in the name of marriage, not about really partnering as equals. So a lot of people marry more to look for Uh, security than about creating a frame of intimacy. And so if you don't have a self, at least in partial development, it's very hard to create a meaningful, choice-driven, intimate partnership.
0: And so without being able to go as deeply as you would through an in-person event course, things like that, what would you recommend in the little time that we have together for somebody to take those first steps in understanding more about their own needs or desires to really start identifying with that so that they can at least start making some sort of progress? Well,
2: I think maybe a, an important idea would be to say, you know, it's it's helping people wake up to their own participation in their problem, because that's the only part that we have control over. We can't tro- control the people around us. and And so a lot of times we participate in putting ourselves in a dependent role because it feels safer there. We can hide behind the accomplishments of our husband, for example, or we can hide behind the role of being a parent to not really take up the issue of our development or our self-respect. And we might resent that we don't get our husband's approval or his validation, or we might resent that, you know, we've sacrificed so many things, but it's easier to kind of look at what maybe other people want from you than how you're participating in being out of balance and not taking up the issues or developmental uh, realities that you have a responsibility to yourself around. So one of the things I would be looking at is you want to look at where you get resentful. Because in your whole life, right? In like, your whole life. Yeah, in your
0: whole life, like where do you mm-hmm. feel Where do you feel resentment? You because next. there's
2: okay. two possibilities around resentment. One is that you're being taken advantage of and you may need to look at how someone is pressuring you and taking advantage of you and or how you may be complicit in doing that and you got to address it because it doesn't create strength to prop up somebody's exploitation okay Mm -hmm. so we might call that being Serving, sometimes Mm -hmm. we call that serving, or being Christ-like, or something. When in fact we're propping up a system that's bad for both the person taking and the person forsaking. And I, so I think you, if you're resentful, that's basically you know you're participating in something that's not good for you. And you may not like that it's being pressured. You can't control that, but you can control whether or not you will be. Compliant in a system that's bad for you and for your spouse or for a child or whoever it may be. I think the other possibility with resentment is sometimes we make choices, but then we make other people responsible for our choices. So we choose to stay home, but then we resent our spouse because he's working, even though we as yes. a full adult <laughs> made the choice. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean you can't reanalyze or look at it and say, uh, you know, this isn't working for me as well as I thought. And I think we need right. to reconsider it, for example. But sometimes, you know, I know when I chose to stay home in the early years, it was pretty tough because my husband was traveling and I had a special needs child, a newborn, and, and it was intense. Okay. Yeah. And I would have to take myself through it every few days. Okay. What do I want? I don't have to do this. I could go to work if I wanted. I could try, turn this over to someone else. I could rearrange this with my husband and try and work out something else. I mean, I had to take myself through my choices.
0: Yeah. And,
2: you know, because otherwise I could just, it was hard and it would be easy to just go into a victim position if I would have let myself. totally. And I would just be like, no, I'm an adult here. And if I need to do something different, I need to do something different. Mm-hmm. And and, um, that was very helpful. That was the antidepressant for me during a pretty tough time when I had pretty limited control. Yeah. Um, and, uh, meaning I wasn't going to solve my child's autism. I wasn't going to be able to do that, but I had to keep asserting who do I want to be in the face of this. And the more I kept it anchored to my choices, um, the more that, that I was managing the question of, I wasn't falling into the indulgence of a resentful position.
1: I love how you say that because really sometimes resentment is truly indulgence and exactly what you're talking about. We've talked about this in the podcast before is that's the same thing that I do when I'm having really rough days. And my roughest days as well were when I have young kids and, My husband was traveling a lot Mm -hmm. and I would have to go through. I don't have to be here. I don't Mm -hmm. have to be their mom if I don't want to. Mm -hmm. I could leave tomorrow. And Mm -hmm. talking myself through all of my options helps center me back on, no, I am choosing this and it's difficult. Um, The resentment piece I wanted to speak about for a minute because that system of like putting up or shutting up, you know, just kind Mm -hmm. of doing, putting yourself second, suppressing your desires Mm -hmm. and wants and um, that works. Until I think especially for moms, um, something goes quote wrong with yeah. one of your kids, right? Yeah. Something happens, they make a choice you don't like, or which is might be totally developmentally appropriate, yeah. you know, bad decision making in that whole development piece sure. because your entire foundation of self worth is upon this self sacrifice to raise mm-hmm. these perfect children. You're right. And then when that doesn't happen because That's they're right. humans not robots, the whole system comes crashing yep, down. And yep, you're yep. like, not I only do I not have perfect children, <laughs> I sacrifice my whole self That's for this. Right. And you're still it just it obliterates oh, yes and That's when
2: I have a lot of people come in seeking help, is because they have bought into a system of self sacrifice and you know, the blessings or the rewards mm-hmm. or the validation is coming and you're doing it through, you know, you're hoping you're going to get it through other people. I'll be the self-sacrificing wife and I'm going to have the husband who loves and adores me and thinks I'm great. Well, then you find out he's cheated on you or something like that. And and it just blows up people's world. Like I've sacrificed all these things thinking Mm -hmm. I'm securing something and I'm not, or I've sacrificed all these things and I'm going to have these children that will reflect well on me. And you know what? they don't exist for me, I'm supposed to be here for them. And they need things from me that don't feel validating of me. And so it blows up this validation dependency system. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people just move into deeper resentment at that point. And other people say, wait, I've gotten something wrong, and I've got to grow myself up around this. And they're looking for help to sort it out. But you know, when we do this, you know, to your question, Becky, about when we do this of, you know how do we kind of challenge the issue of our resentment and what's something we can handle right now is that, you know, if you resent your sexual relationship or the quality, first of all, let me back up a little. When you do this, I will sort of sacrifice my wants and needs and uh, put up or shut up just to kind of do what everybody else wants. It's going to create, you may have sex, but you will not, it will not be an intimacy experience. It will be about managing someone else's mm-hmm. desires.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: and
0: There's no positive connotation with that. No, right? and, you,
2: and you're and you kind of managing this feeling of, I don't really matter. So, you know, meaning he may want me to prop up his life, but I as a person don't matter. Now, maybe he, you really do matter to him, but if you're operating in that frame, it's hard to believe it because right. you right. don't take yourself seriously right. either. Mm-hmm. So even if he does... If you haven't set that up inside of yourself, it's hard to receive it, even if it's real. Uh, The other thing is a lot of people kind of do, you know, their life and their sexual relationship from a victim position, which is easier than really stepping towards it and addressing what needs to be addressed. What would make this a better sexual relationship? What would make this a sexual relationship worth wanting? What would make me like this more? that takes more risk that requires more responsibility to oneself and to the relationship that requires a more collaborative position and a lot of times we don't want the exposure of that so we just hide behind resentment and you know the the you know pseudo sacrificing position this idea that you know we're being so good because we put up with mm-hmm. with them and i think that's those are tempting ideas but they aren't coming from the best in us.
0: And they're not serving us very well at all. And, and I, I mean, second only to wanting to shake somebody who, you know, who might come in to meet with you and, and you just want to go guys like this. Is, so second only to that, what would be, what would be a good place for that? An individual in that situation who is attaching things to resentment and to just kind of move past that
2: well, I, you know, one thing I would say is if you're really prone to doing this, I would be thinking about why am I prone to doing it? Okay, now you may be in a situation that's hard and it's easy to be resentful because you may be in a situation where someone is taking advantage and and they do criticize you or put you in in a one-down position in their mind. Um, why, It might be easy because you grew up watching a parent always take the martyr position, and this is how you learned to be an adult or learn to be a woman specifically. And so you may be replicating a system instinctively. Hmm. Um, Or you may do resentment because you're afraid of, of going out on a limb and you would prefer the safety of hiding behind others than figuring out what you want, asserting what you want, letting it sort of exist out there and be seeable. That's hard, especially if we grew up in families that were very critical, you know. And so, you know, you want to think about why do I kind of go there? What's tempting it for me in it? What's the safety that I find in it? And then I would be looking at what's the cost to me for doing it? What's the cost to the people I love if I do that? And what is a position? This is really the most important question for me. If, If you can take a look at all those things. What is a position or behavior that I would respect more? Because it's not just that you're steeped in resentment and that it undermines your relationship to your spouse and others. It deeply undermines your relationship to yourself because you're co-constructing yourself as a powerless victim. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And you're not stepping into your strength and your courage. And how we relate to ourselves, the decisions we make shapes how we feel about ourselves. You know, sometimes I say, Self-respect is something you do much more than something you feel. Mm. And when you act towards yourself as if you have a responsibility to yourself and you fulfill that responsibility you have to yourself, it's much easier to feel good about yourself because the feelings come second. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, which is true in all our relationships, doing right by our children helps us love them more. Doing right in our partnership helps us love our spouse more. And doing right by ourselves and our own integrity helps us be at peace with ourselves.
0: So if I'm understanding you right, part of self-respect and getting into a better place with self-respect is identifying what our desires are and articulating them. I, I'm pulling out yeah, some sure, of the pieces sure. of what you just yeah. like, you said. You're, You're so intelligent and and articulate, and you're blowing my mind, and there's so much. I hope you guys are able to absorb this. Yeah, it's Um, a lot, I realize, yes. But but that's, I mean, it seems like I'm piecing that together, that Mm -hmm. that really is in the right direction. If you you want to get to a better place of self-respect, you really do have to... Do the work to identify what your desires are or where, or the opposite, where your points of re- resentment are, yes. and be able to articulate them. Yes. Be able to express be able to, them.
2: Exactly. To be able to express them and, and even to see them within yourself first. Yes. And it I don't mean like every desire must be, you know, gratified, yeah. of yeah. course. Okay. okay. I don't mean we that we are but... eating
1: it olive garden honey. <laughs> that is my everyday. I learned desire. it on a podcast. Yes. Yes. Um uh, uh...
2: <laughs> Exactly. Uh but I think. Um, what are the important responsibilities I have to myself or my desires that I'm neglecting? Mm
0: -hmm. Mm.
2: And, you know, that my resentment is maybe a function of what I'm neglecting. What is it that I'm doing or participating in that undermines my peace with myself? What is the thing that I want that I'm having a hard time really taking responsibility for? So it's not just articulating it, but under seeing it enough to think about how do I need to relate to this issue differently?
0: I hope you guys are planning on taking a good 20 minutes after you listen to this episode yeah. to like sit in silence and just really process and ponder because this is work what you're talking yeah. about jennifer is work yeah that's why you do workshops that's why yeah. you do these yeah. online courses because and and becky you were even commenting earlier we've got a lot of homework tonight <laughs> right like, i i yeah. left
1: and i was like and i think i have a pretty good handle on this because i this is my jam like i love this and and there were some things that kind of came up for me um that i'm interested to go home and kind of write my way through tonight and mm-hmm. i think most people though as we kind of put a bow on this is I hear from a lot of people most people want want a a glorious wonderful sex life that's fulfilling mm. for both them and their partner and I love how it's this cyclical thing mm. all these things we talk about the core at the core of it is ownership over oneself yeah is ownership love moving towards that direction and bringing that whole person that you are to your relationship. Yeah. Yes. And it's just so interesting to me how we talk about so many things on this podcast. We've interviewed so many amazing people, and it always comes down to that same thing. Mm-hmm. Why do you guys think it is so hard for people to truly own who they are? I don't know. I do. Oh. <laughs> she knows turn to the doctor.
2: what is it about it that makes it
1: so difficult for us yeah. to just sit with ourselves and just embrace and understand who we are
2: uh, well I think honestly the reason is that we are social organisms and we are how to say it our physical autonomy outpaces our psychological autonomy so that is to say when you're born you can't have a sense of self except for gaining a reflected sense of self through the people that care about Mm -hmm. you, okay? So you, as a child, nothing's going wrong when this happens. Your sense of self comes by looking to others to give you a picture and an idea of who you are. And if you're a fortunate baby, you have doting, loving parents who look at you and think you're the most beautiful, precious being on the planet, okay? And they're in love with you in the best sense. and, and, um, And so they're giving you a picture of you mattering, Okay. And that feels great. And when you're a baby, you don't have to do much to matter. You just, every roll of fat is adored and you just, you know, throw your food and swoon and everybody thinks you're phenomenal. Okay. And that's a lovely part about being a baby. Okay? Isn't
0: it though? <laughs>
2: <laughs> and we all still want that. Okay. But it gets harder to have it as you get older because people are expect more from you and you have to you know, do your part and contribute to society and you can't, you know, be a derelict and still get, (laughs) you know, you have to like kind of live by the rules and you've got to do these things. And so, but the thing is we don't necessarily grow out of our need for this reflected sense of self. And so it's really easy because we like that validation and it feels good to not grow out of it because we want to stay seeking of, I want your approval. Now, there's two ways to kind of pursue this validation. You can do it in the form of I'll be what you want me to be. Just love me. Mm -hmm. And then the other way we do it is like the things I like, want the things I want, you idiot. Come into my circle. Yeah. Yeah. Come in Mm -hmm. and reinforce my life and my desires. And if you loved me, you would. Okay. So, you know, parents can pressure their kids in that way. So, you know, a parent could be like in the compliant Ooh. position with their spouse, but then in the demanding position with their children, for example. Hmm. Well, or they, you know, might do compliance at work, but demand at home with their spouse or something, right? So it's kind of two sides of the same coin, mm-hmm. and they both point to a basic immaturity of, and I mean this in the developmental sense, this immaturity of being able to regulate your sense of self. And so the psych- psychological adulthood Many, many people never achieve. They achieve physical adulthood, but not psychological adulthood. Psychological adulthood is to make secondary the issue of people's validation to your own integrity and your development into a unique expression of godliness on this planet mm. to become, to fulfill the measure of your creation, to become your unique expression of goodness on the planet. And that requires. If you are going to stay validation-based and I want people to be happy with me or get people to reinforce me as I am, you won't develop into that. You'll stay in the sort of amorphous form Mm. of trying to be what others want from you or get them to be okay with exactly who you are. And neither one of those is good for your development. To develop, you must tolerate invalidation.
1: Stitch.
0: To develop, you must... Tolerate tolerate,
1: tolerate, tolerate, invalidation, invalidation. Dang, I know. <laughs> Stitch that on a pillow, oh. ladies and gentlemen. Oh, that was the I, okay, most. I mean, one like, of the most like, profound things I heard today.
0: Listen, how often have we talked about not needing or not seeking for external validation? But the way that you are expanding on that
1: is, we need because that. you know what? I think we even though I don't seek it. I really freaking like it. Right. Oh, yeah, and I really do. freaking we like it, it just a little bit too much still. Yep. And yeah. I'm still sure. kind of working through that being okay totally. with being comfortable with invalidation. I'm st- I still coach myself yeah. through
2: it all yeah. the time. I was right. like, okay, it's a gift. Oh. It's a gift. <laughs>
0: no,
1: and like you said,
0: I mean, it it's, feel not, like it. right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the majority of people that reach psychological adulthood. And that's what you're talking about. So if you really are at that place where you, that external validation is, is truly secondary to your sense of self. And I'm to internal validation, internal validation yes, and integrity uh-huh. yes. and integrity. So then, And integrity. Yes. Mm-hmm. Then you, you really are psychologically an adult. An adult.
2: And by internal validation, I don't mean that you're like a defensive, dishonest position. Right. I mean it's really based in something honest in yourself. You're not you're being true to what you think. You're dealing with what you don't want to see. Um did I say this already here or did I say it earlier no, today that said often, it, yeah. Uh, yeah, that oftentimes what will most help us is hiding in the place we least want to look mm. because it's this issue of invalidation.
0: Yeah, you guys should see our facial expressions. I've already heard
1: this all once today, and I'm loving it. Well, that was my first time hearing that. It's true, though, right? Mm -hmm. Looking in those corners, we don't want to look in. And one thing I loved what you said about being vulnerable and essentially letting yourself be known is inviting invalidation and inviting almost negative feedback and being able to look at yourself honestly. And I think a lot of things we do are to avoid looking at That's ourselves right. honestly. That's right. A hundred percent. And how because can you love hurts. yourself if you can't look at yourself it, honestly and say that you love yourself? And right? you can't because you can't you're develop. obviously
2: hiding from something and you know it, whether or not you admit it to yourself, you know you, it, but
1: on a biological level, you know, you it. know
2: it. That's right. Mm. And so, you know, a lot of us want marriages, but we want validation and we don't sure want do. intimacy. Mm. Because intimacy is letting my husband point out the stupidity in some of my ideas. (laughs) (laughs) And I I don't mean that to be disrespectful to myself or him. I'm just saying, you know, if you're going to have an honest marriage, you're going to Challenge each
0: other's yes, ideas. I totally agree, and that's so, when I feel the most intimate with my husband. Yeah. Is when we really can be truly, truly honest. That's right, and call each other out because it's all done in love.
2: That's right. Even if you if want it doesn't to create, look like it in right, the moment. Right. Well, you know, sometimes <laughs> right. we'll call out each other because we have our own sadistic urge, like we want to be mean. Sometimes that's mm-hmm. part of marriage, sadly, and often it's a part of our relationships, but. If you're saying, I'm talking about this hard thing, not because I want you to feel small, but because we, I want to solve it. You know, am I talking about the difficulty in our sexual relationship because I want to have a good relationship or because I want to humiliate you? Mm -hmm. Okay. If I'm talking about it because I want to create something better, well, then I'm talking about it in a certain way. It's true. It's hard. I'm willing to look at my part in this problem because I want the truth on the table so we can solve it and create better. That's a function of love even though it hurts. And, you know, the scriptural idea of you lose yourself to find yourself, that's the idea right there. I'm losing my ego and protection of a view of myself to find something stronger, Mm. to create something more peaceful and real between us. But I'm willing to tolerate what's true over what feels good. And that takes a lot of courage to do that as human beings. You have to handle your your punctured sense of self,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, and Better put
1: on your big girl pants. Yeah. That's right.
2: Mm-hmm. And you, and you just have to, you have to like, you know, a lot of times when I'm getting invalidation or, you know, I'll just push myself. Okay. I can handle this.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I've done this before. This is always what helps me get stronger. And what's true in what's being said to me? It's not like I must swallow every single thing because... An
1: internalized negativity that yeah. you don't have ownership over. That's right. Because certainly we all get that input to right. the not true. That's exactly inputs. right. Yeah.
2: But is there something true here I really, I know is true and I know I need to deal with? Mm. And what, you know, what here do I believe is maybe hard to look at, but I need to look at? Because that's an integrity-based decision. And when you deal with that, you start to really have peace. That's why I do it. It's because I do it for my relationships, but I do it for my relationship with myself because that's given me more and more peace, more and more comfort with myself, you know, and and that is worth a lot.
0: That's everything. That's worth everything. When your integrity is intact and you feel it and you know it, there's not a greater sense of peace that you can get in any other way.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And and being dishonest with yourself or, or hiding from things, it's you no, know, it's maybe easy to do, but it's such a cost, such a yeah. price to pay. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: we are scratching the surface.
1: I know, and
0: there is so much more um that we could talk about. Becky, what are we going to be talking about in part two? We're we going to the next part two. Episode. We're going
1: to be doing a quick bonus episode, yes, because we love you. Bonus, you are welcome. <laughs> Where Dr. Finlayson Fife is going to be telling us a few tips of how, as we are healing our own sexual identity and sense of self, how in the world and our work in progress state, do we teach our children to do it better than we have done it? Mm. Okay. Well, friends, thank you for carving out the
0: time to listen and for joining us in this continued conversation about cultivating a good life. Nothing we have said is more important than the specific things you have felt that are personal for you. We invite you to write down those promptings you feel and most importantly, act on them. We love you. We're cheering you on and we look forward to being with you in the bonus episode. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Bye. to be at a good life episode 77 understanding desire with dr jennifer finless and fife <laughs> <laughs> i know i was gonna struggle lesson
1: Fife. you sound like you're swedish
0: i mean what do i do do i just slow it down it's so you just, hard here's what you do
1: you okay pronounce it correctly okay. that's what you do
0: okay i've got this i've got this yeah you do okay this is Cultivate a Good Life, Episode 77, Understanding Desire, with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson. Dang it! Finlay- Finlayson. Finlayson Fife. Finlayson Fife. Finlayson. Finlayson.
1: Finlayson. Finlayson. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Finlayson Fife. It's,
0: it's, a, it's hard can for me. You do Isn't it. Isn't that hard for you?
1: Not even in the least. Like, are you for real? Dr. Finlayson Fife. This Dr. Finlayson Fife. I got it. Yeah. Do you, you believe totally me? got it. Yeah, (laughs) I do.